Hey everyone, this is Taylor Halverson from Book of Mormon Central. We've had a lot of requests to add our weekly Come Follow Me videos with myself and Tyler Griffin to our podcast. We are very excited to do this. However, just know that we use a lot of visuals in our videos. So if you ever want to see the visuals, check out Book of Mormon Central on YouTube. We hope you enjoy. I'm Taylor. And I'm Tyler. This is Book of Mormon Central's Come Follow Me Insights. Today, Ether 6 through 11. And before we jump in, we want to invite you to look particularly at Ether chapter 6 today in your personal study and ask yourself, how does Ether 6 represent the plan of salvation and how is it a metaphor for my life and how God works to take me through the difficulties and troubles of life and save me and land me on the shores of the promised land, which is eternal life with him. And so you'll see that we'll spend a lot of time today in Ether 6 talking through that perspective, and we invite you to dig deeper on your own and look for additional insights that matter, particularly for your life. Wonderful. So let's begin with our lesson by sharing a couple of little scenarios, little snippets of people that uh, find themselves in certain situations or hardships that you may be able to relate to either personally, yourself, having passed through those, or loved ones, people that you're, you're associated with uh, having struggled with, with these situations or similar issues. So, use your imagination for a moment and picture in your mind's eye the husband who drives home and sits in his car a little bit longer before he exhales, opens the door, and slowly walks into his house to tell his wife that he's been laid off. Or picture the wife who comes to her husband with tears in her eyes and says, Honey, uh, the pregnancy test is negative again. I don't think we're going to be able to have any children. Or picture the parents who watch the car driving away of a beloved child of theirs who has just come to visit and has shared some, some news about some struggles that that child has been facing with, his, uh, with either his gender identity or his sexual orientation and the parents don't quite know, didn't quite know what to say or what to do or how to act. Or picture the, uh, the couple who are at the hospital in the emergency room when the doctor comes in and says, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, I am so sorry. She didn't make it. Your daughter didn't make it. Uh, these are some really extreme examples, right? It, these these don't happen to people every day, but they happen enough to enough people that it helps to at least acknowledge the fact that this is part of our life. As we jump into Ether chapter 6, I, I want to echo what, what Taylor opened with by saying that I, I know of no better analogy in all of the scriptures to kind of encapsulate or symbolically 
represent our mortal life better than this Jaredite journey. It, it, it is loaded with parallels to what we're experiencing. So, to catch us up to speed, before opening up chapter 6, verse 1, you'll notice where we were last week. Remember? The brother of Jared went to all that work to get those 16 smooth stones made, and then he brought them up before the Lord and asked the Lord to touch them with his finger so that they would shine. So, to begin our, our look at our own life as we hold up the scripture page, it becomes a window, a glass pane, so to speak, through which we can see these people so long ago, so far away, experiencing these situations. But the longer you look at that window, at that page of the scripture, the more that page takes on mirror-like reflective qualities, showing us our own life. We've talked about this before, that it becomes our story. So even this element of the 16 smooth stones, even before we even get into the barges and launch out into the sea, it's, it's already becoming our story in that everything I do, and I mean everything that I do, requires the help of the Lord, requires the touch of his hand to make it actually produce light. There's, there's nothing that I can do as a husband as a father, as a leader in any church calling, in my profession, teaching students, in my friendships, in all relationships, there is nothing I can do in complete isolation of the Lord without him touching it with his finger. A, a very relevant example of this, what Taylor and I are doing with these particular uh, Come Follow Me Insight videos. Brothers and sisters, we, we could prepare for thousands of hours if we wanted for each video. That, that would be unreasonable. We could do that. At the end of the day, our very best lesson plans would be no better than 16 smooth transparent stones sitting on a rock not giving forth any light. Every time we step in here, our prayer isn't for us to be enlightening for you, it's that the Lord will take our best effort, and it's good effort, but that's all it is, 16 smooth transparent stones, like, and our prayer is that he'll touch those preparations, he'll touch what we're doing in such a way that it will shine, that it will, that it will bring light. Into, into people's lives, that it'll shine that light into some dark corners at, time, at times that need to be illuminated. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's about him. It's not about us. In my parenting, it's about trying to connect my children with him, and in the process, my relationship with them is strengthened as he touches those efforts that we make in our, in our parenting or with my wife. Uh, so as you move forward through, as we now jump into chapter 6, realize that we're going to be looking through these lenses at these people, but I hope you're going to see yourself, and I hope you're going to see your efforts in the context 
that the very best you can do isn't going to be good enough, but with the Lord's help, it's going to be more than good enough, and you don't need to feel guilty, and, and like some of us in the church, we, we were – many of us were raised with this idea, must do more, must be perfect, and we run around and we're always feeling guilty and never quite arrive. I hope by the time we're done today, you will let go of some of that perfectionism and turn more in, in quiet faith to the Lord with more confidence that he is the one who's in charge. It's him who touches whatever efforts we're making and makes them glow. Now, if you jump into chapter 6, it says in verse 2, it came to pass that after the Lord had prepared the stones which the brother of Jared had carried up into the mount, did you, did you catch that? After the Lord had prepared the stones which the brother of Jared, Jared had carried up into the mount. So, brother of Jared did his work, no question about it, but where's the emphasis? The Lord had prepared those stones. Then the brother of Jared came down out of the mount, and he did put forth the stones into the vessels which were prepared, one in each end thereof, and behold, they did give light unto the vessels. Uh, just for fun, a little cross-reference you could write in your margin next to verse 2 would be Genesis chapter uh, 6, verse 16. In our King James Version of the Bible, it says, a window shalt thou make to the ark. Huh. If you look at the footnote in your, in your Bible, footnote 16a, it says in the Hebrew, tzohar, some rabbis believed it was a precious stone that shone in the, in the ark. That would be interesting because the brother of Jared, living a few, uh, possibly up to hundred couple hundred years after Noah, that would have maybe been part of the, the story for them, and maybe when given the assignment to figure out what he wants the Lord to do with the light, he simply went to his scriptures and followed a pattern. That would be interesting if that were the case, but at least there's a rabbinical tradition out there that that's what Noah did. What's beautiful about the symbol of stones that shine light is the idea of Yermit and Thummim, which we are all quite familiar with in the church, and it turns out the word Ur in Hebrew means light. And when you put the I-M on the ending of that word, it actually makes it the plural. So it's lights. So we actually, if we wanted to describe the stones that sat in the barges, there's two stones in each barge, it would be urim, lights. And each of us have been given light from the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Spirit acts as urim for us, and it leads us to completion, which is this other word that we're familiar with, and that is what God's light does for us, and again, this beautiful metaphor of the barges that they brought Urim 
Urim and Thummim, I'm not saying that actually these were Urim and Thummim, but just the basic meaning of these Hebrew words, we could look at the barges, the light in them, as a form of Urim and Thummim. And again, we have that today, that the Book of Mormon was brought forth through a stone or stones that shone forth truth and light. And we have modern-day prophets who in some ways are symbolic, Urim and Thummim, or Urim and Thummim, sorry, I'm speaking Hebrew, that they also bring forth light and truth for us, that as we are in our own personal barges being blown forth the promised land, the light that God's chosen servants provide for us give us that sense of perspective and hope in sometimes a despairing world, and that we don't have to transition through this life fully in the dark. We have the light available. And by the way, there's deep value in collaborating with other people because they help you get closer to the truth. And Tyler has appropriately recognized that uh, some of them adds, ends with an M. And I appreciate that. And don't tell my wife, who's an English teacher, that I sometimes spell words incorrectly. So here we go. Look at verse 3. And thus the Lord caused stones to shine in darkness. Are you getting the message? This, this repeat message, it was the Lord who caused these stones to shine in darkness, to give light unto men, women, and children, that they might not cross the great waters in darkness. If you take this whole analogy of the great waters, this ocean, here we are in the old world, we're trying to get over to the new world with these Jaredites, then if you look at this as this incredible symbolic overlay for mortality, then you can say, huh, God never intended for, for me and for you to go through life in darkness. He, the Lord has prepared those lights. Taylor talked about the Holy Ghost being, being one of those major lights. We have the scriptures, the words of prophets, both ancient and modern, those on the earth today. You have your patriarchal blessing. You have inspired leaders in, in your local units. You, you have loved ones in your family and, and friendship circles that can be inspired, and it's not that these people are the light, it's that they reflect heaven's light into your life. And there are people that you know, I'm, I'm assuming, that when you're with them, you just feel more hope. You feel, you feel enlightened. When you read the scriptures sometimes, there, there, there are times when it just feels like they're speaking directly to your heart, like they, like they know you, and it's, it's uncanny how much, how, how much they can illuminate dark trials that you, that you may be going through or tribulations that you may be facing. Look at verse 4 now. It came to pass that when they had prepared all manner of food, that there, thereby they might subsist upon the water, and also food for their flocks and herds and whatsoever beast or animal or fowl that they should carry with them, and it came to pass that when they had done all these things, they got aboard of their vessels or barges and set forth into the sea commending themselves unto the Lord their God. Again, here we come. We're going to keep saying it. We're never going to get tired of saying it. 
they're putting their full trust in the Lord their God. They're not relying on the arm of the flesh to, to get across this, this great ocean, the, the, the many waters. They're trusting in God. Now think about the amount of faith that's required here for a moment, okay? You have eight barges. They're so tight like unto a dish, none of them have oars or paddles that we have mentioned in the text. None of them have a mast with an adjustable sail that can be, you know, turned to, to catch the wind a certain way. There's no mention of them having a compass or any kind of, of measuring tool to tell where they are on the, on the water, on the planet, and where they need to go. They don't, they don't even know where they, they're going. There's no rudder. They have no possible way to steer these boats, and they're – we don't know if they're tied together or how they, they made it so that they aren't just totally drifting apart – they don't mention any of that in the text. I don't know of very many examples in the scriptures that illustrate better what you and I experience when we leave heaven and come down into earth life, into mortality, than what's going on here, where we have all of these things that we need to experience, but at the end of the day, we can do some things inside of the sphere of our influence, inside of our little barge. There are definitely things we can do. You don't just sit there idle all, all of your life long. We're doing things, but it's interesting to me that it's the Lord who's driving this set of ships where he wants them to go and to accomplish what he wants them to accomplish. Look at verse 5. It came to pass that the Lord God – are you noticing it? If you haven't picked up on this, just notice how many times the Lord is mentioned as being not just the driving force, but the, the he's above and below and in and through all things in this journey that the Jaredites are experiencing. And brothers and sisters, he is in and through every single struggle that you and I face in our life. Uh, look at verse 5. The Lord God caused – that's an action word. It wasn't the Lord God allowed, it's that the Lord God caused that there should be a furious wind blow upon the face of the waters. Now, as human beings, I think you would all agree with me that you would much prefer if God had simply, I don't know, he's got capacity to do this, create an earthquake that forms a big tsunami wave or something, and you've got the barges here, and it just, and it just steadily pushes them, and he keeps the wind just perfect behind that wave, so we just just slow and steady and smooth all the way to the promised land, right? That would be easy. Uh, notice the wording again. The Lord God caused that there should be a furious wind blow upon the face of the waters towards the promised land, and they were tossed upon the waves of the sea before the wind. So we don't get the the nice cruise ship, uh, just steady sailing all the way to the promised land. 
we get a furious wind, and they're tossed on the water. Look at verse 6, and it came to pass that they were many times buried in the depths of the sea because of the mountain waves which broke upon them, and also the great and terrible tempests which were caused by the fierceness of the wind. And remember where that wind came from? It wasn't just random weather systems running through, it was God causing this wind, and they are buried in the depths under these mountain waves breaking upon them. Brothers and sisters, have you noticed that when storms of life come, they don't always act uh, gentlemanly, they don't quietly stand in a in a queue, in a, in a waiting line, waiting their turn until you've successfully dealt with the struggle that you, you currently are wrestling with. Sometimes the mountain waves in an ocean setting, they will come crashing from various angles and they'll descend on you, and just when you're, you have a mouthful of having gone under with one, if you're swimming, another one's already coming and then another one they don't always wait their turn to beat you up, and you all know people, and for some of you it's you who have gone through periods of life where one thing after another after another seems to have piled up all at once to the point where you're, you're feeling like, I can't do this, and it, it can cause this feeling of frustration with the Lord to say, don't, don't you know that I'm down here struggling right now? Don't you know what I'm going through? Let me just say it this way. God could take away every heartache, but he doesn't. God could prevent every sickness and disease and virus but he doesn't. God could stop all natural disasters from taking anybody's life, but he doesn't. God could absolutely prevent every act of abuse in all of its terrible forms. He, he could absolutely stop those, but he doesn't. God could preserve everyone from dying, whether from accident or disease or old age or whatever it may be, but he doesn't. You see, God didn't send us down here for a vacation on a cruise ship across the ocean of mortality. He sent us down here for a test, for an opportunity to exercise our agency and our faith and our trust in him and it's easy to put our trust in him when the sun is shining, when the birds are flying, when the breeze is just right and the steady progress towards the promised land is just pleasant. It's easy to trust in God at that point, but when that first mountain wave, the, the storm has started to build and then a mountain wave hits you and then another and then another and then another, now we have more of a choice on our hands. Do we, do we turn our back on the God who 
got us this far and has directed us thus far on our journey and say, he, he, he's not aware of what I'm going through. Why, why do I have to struggle so badly? Why, is, why does life have to be so hard? The fact is, I don't know anyone who can give you an absolute answer to that question. Why do you have to go through so many hard things? I don't know why, but I know that the Lord Jesus Christ knows exactly what he's doing with us as our Savior and taking us exactly where he wants us to go, which means he's going to have to create some uh, difficulties on the water in order to get us there, because if he if, if the weather isn't hard and stormy at times, our progress is going to be greatly reduced in getting where we want to go. Look at verse 7. came to pass that when they were buried in the deep, there was no water that could hurt them, their vessels being tight like unto a dish. Second half of verse 7, therefore, when they were encompassed about by many waters, they did cry unto the Lord, and he did bring them forth again upon the top of the waters. I love the fact that I have seen in my own life, I've watched people go through things that I end up shaking my head and scratching my head saying, how can you be so faithful to the Lord in the face of such terrible circumstances and tragedies and, and disease and death in your family and, and in things that are going on around you. How can you be so faithful? I think the answer is in that first part of verse 7. When they were buried in the deep, there was no water that could hurt them. It doesn't mean that they're not getting motion sick and that they're not having some uncertainty about why all of this is happening. <laughs> but they recognize something. They recognize that God sent them on this journey and God is going to keep his promises. God never forsakes us. doesn't mean that God doesn't allow hard, difficult, painful, even at times in some people's situation, abusive things to happen to us, but it means that at the end of the day, none of those things will have the power to ultimately and eternally hurt us because of who we're becoming with our faith and our, our holding on tightly to those covenants with the Lord. I will witness that these principles we've been talking about are true. I've experienced the mountain waves in my life. Uh, in some cases, there were multiple mountain waves, and I remember feeling angry at God, like, why would you allow all these bad things to happen to me when I've tried to do what you've asked me to do? And I got to a point where I felt like, well, maybe I can't trust God. How, guess how well that worked out for me? Uh, things didn't get better. The mountain waves were still there, and I actually lost hope. I thought, man, I'm really not doing very well here, but God has asked me to trust him. And the hardest choice, and yet the easiest choice I've ever had to make in my life, is choosing to trust God, to have faith in him, to believe. And when I made that choice, I mean, here's mountains of evidence that things aren't going well in my life and maybe God doesn't exist. When I chose to trust that he had a plan for me individually and that he knew where my life was going, even though I didn't, 
I had no idea where, where things were going. I had no idea how long the storms would last. But I decided to fully trust God. It was incredible the joy that I felt as I trusted God. And I had an experience very much like the people, the brother of Jared. They did cry unto the Lord. This is verse 7. And he did bring them forth again upon the top of the waters. And when I have reached my promised lands, I fell down on my knees, kissed the ground, and expressed joy to God for letting me experience the journey. Now, it wasn't pleasant, but learning more about who he is and who I am because of him. To encourage you, wherever you are, to make the hard and easy choice to trust God, no matter the circumstances. Now, there are a lot of experiences that I could share from my own life with regards to, to these concepts that we're talking about. Rather than sharing one that's more uh, deep in my heart, I, I want to share just a little example, an experience that our family had this summer that encapsulates this principle very well. But understand, it, it's, not, it's not on the level of some of those major, major struggles that some of you and your loved ones are facing. So, this summer, my family and I were headed up to Yellowstone. We love Yellowstone National Park. And uh, we were driving up. Uh, we left late on a Friday night in mid-June. It was about 11 o'clock at night, pulling our trailer, our camper trailer, to go up and uh, have this fun family vacation. We got up to Blackfoot, Idaho, and I pulled in to gas up our van, and everything was going great. I, I was gassing things up. And I walked around the trailer and I noticed that uh, instead of two tires on the back of the trailer, we only had one. That concerned me and I looked closer and I noticed that it wasn't just that the tire had fallen off, but the entire wheel structure was gone. There was nothing. It was just a bent axle that was sticking out and it had had, had some major wear. Here we are, Blackfoot, Idaho. 3.30 in the morning, it's a Saturday, realizing I've got my wife and our ten children, many of them asleep in the van, and we can't go any further. And we have some people to meet uh, up in, in Yellowstone, and this isn't going to work. And I'm nervous. And I'm thinking, Heavenly Father, why are you doing this? I, I understand. I, I teach these lessons all the time about how adversity and affliction come, but why now? Not, not on this vacation, not, not at 3.30 in the morning on a Saturday. This isn't a typical job. So I got my phone and I looked up some 24-hour services and I called two or three of them and couldn't get an answer. And I'm thinking, this is terrible. This is going to cost a ton of money. It's probably going to ruin our vacation. And the feeling was, just try again, call another one. So I went down and found another number and I called. And a guy by the name of Jason Rammel answered the phone. And it's 3.30 in the morning, Saturday. 
and he said, hey, I'm going to help you. Send me some pictures. And he informed me that he was uh, currently in Rexburg, so it was going to be an hour drive for him. He called up and told us that he was going to meet us at his tire shop there in Blackfoot at, uh, at, as soon as he could get there. So he wanted us to just slowly drive and wait for him there. So we did. And when he showed up, he bent over backwards. Obviously, the entire axle was going to have to be replaced because it was uh, the type that couldn't just be easily fixed. But unfortunately, being a Saturday, all of the places that would have the right axle were closed, and he called a business up in Idaho Falls, half hour away, to see if they had one, and they did. It wasn't the perfect fit, but it would get us onto the trip and save our vacation. But getting an axle, he looked at our van and he said, that's not going to work. And he threw me the keys to his truck and said, just drive my truck up and get it. And he gave me the address. I thought, man, this is, uh, this is going to cost me a lot. I drove up, picked up the axle, came back, he put that on, fixed all the tires that needed to be fixed, rotating things around, and got us off on our trip. Uh, as I went in to, to pay, I was shocked when he gave me the amount. And I said, Jason, this isn't, this isn't right. You put in hours. You, you let me take your truck. You, you did all of these things. This isn't right for you to charge so little in this. And uh, he just looked at me and he smiled and he said, pass it on. Pass it on. Um, now for the lesson. There, there are infinitely worse trials than, have, than losing uh, a tire and having to replace an axle on a trailer on your way to a vacation. I get it. But for the Tyler and Kiplan Griffin family on that occasion, God either allowed or caused, I don't know, and it doesn't matter, a wave to break upon us. And we experienced this situation where we couldn't rely on our own capacity to fix it. We had no way to fix this on our own. And so God sent help to the form of, of a tire shop owner, the Poindest Tire Shop there in Blackfoot, named Jason Rammel, as an angel to help us get through that particular mountain wave. Now, to take this principle one step further, we've been on many family vacations. We've even had a couple of car breakdowns in other situations, but nothing quite so dramatic as this one. And as we were driving away from Blackfoot, Idaho that day, headed towards Yellowstone, I had the distinct feeling of God had given us that experience and he had given us an angel to deliver us from that struggle and that trial as a means whereby we could develop more trust and more faith in him. Now, I get it. I get it that not every single time you get in trouble like that, there's an, a, a ministering angel there, either from the unseen or the seen world, to, to make it right and get you on your way. 
I get it that sometimes those trials extend and even get worse. I, I understand that. But in this particular case, we drove away from Blackfoot thinking we are never going to forget this particular trip, and the defining feature for this trip is going to be seeing what great things the Lord our God did for us. Now, some, some might say, well, wouldn't it have been better if God just had prevented your tire from falling off? Yeah, that, that would have been easier for sure, but we wouldn't have recognized his hand. We wouldn't have increased our faith in him and our trust in him and our love for him, and we wouldn't have been as prone to look at other people as Jason says to me as we leave. He says, pass it on. You don't need to pay for everything that I would normally be able to charge you for, but he said, just pass it on. Uh, those kinds of experiences in life where God brings people in when you're in the midst of a mountain wave uh, trial or tribulation, whether it be in a few hours or a few weeks or a few months or if it stretches over a few years or a few decades or if those trials stretch for a lifetime, God always, in one way or another, sends help to, to help us get through those, not to take away the problems in every case, sometimes just to be with us as we wrestle through these, these difficult and trying decisions that we have to make and, and relationships that we have to navigate. Notice verse 8, it came to pass that the wind did never cease to blow towards the promised land while they were upon the waters, and thus they were driven forth before the wind. If you love the Lord, if you are on the covenant path doing your best inside that barge, then all of those mountain waves, all of those trials, all of those seeming losses of, of a job or of your health or of faith of a loved one, any, any loss can actually serve as a means whereby we can focus more on and trust more in the Lord our God, that he's taking us towards the promised land. So perhaps the next time something goes wrong in your life, perhaps you can come back to this chapter and with meekness and humility say, Lord, what, what am I to learn from this? How am I supposed to, to process this in a way that it actually can increase my faith in thee rather than increase my fear and anxiety and my frustration with thee? Uh, the reality is each one of us, I believe with all my heart, that each one of us in the pre-mortal realm before we entered mortality, that we made promises, that we covenanted to accomplish certain things during our earthly sojourn. Well, now we're here and there's the veil that makes us so we forget. I believe with all my heart that if we move forward the best we can on the covenant path, keeping the commandments to the best of our ability, not in a perfectionism mentality, but in a one step at a time, 
keep moving forward, repenting and repenting and repenting and learning from our own experience, the difference between what's right and what's wrong, that we will be guided by the Lord into the paths that we need to be in in order to accomplish everything that we promised that we would do before we, we came down to this life. Look at verse 9. And they did sing praises unto the Lord. Yea, the brother of Jared did sing praises unto the Lord, and he did thank and praise the Lord all the day long, and when the night came, they did not cease to praise the Lord. That's interesting when you get that verse 9 couched between verse 6, 7, and 8, and then verse 10. Look at verse 10. Thus they were driven forth, and no monster of the sea could break them, neither whale that could mar them, and they did have light continually, whether it was above the water or under the water. And thus they were driven forth 344 days upon the water. Hmm. 344 days with 365 days in a, in a calendar year for us, this is, this is a long, long journey for these people out on the water without being able to put feet on solid ground, without wondering when the, the rocking and the rolling and the water and the waves is going to end. Uh, that's a long time to keep singing praises to the Lord. Now, some of you have loved ones, and some of you have experienced this yourself, periods where you've grown weary or loved ones have grown weary of that covenant path where they've had struggles with their faith and maybe they haven't loved the Lord or maybe they haven't made decisions that would help them on their journey towards the promised land. I love the fact that here these people are all in this together. God gave us families. He put us in families. It's not my job to live my life for my children and, and make decisions for them their entire life long. It's my job to teach and love and encourage, and whether or not they choose to follow what I teach or what the prophets teach or what the scriptures are saying doesn't change my love for them. I can always love them. And at the end of the day, something my father-in-law repeatedly says uh, is there is no greater motivator in earthly relationships than love, and people can feel it. When you love them, that motivates them to, to do the right thing. And I love the fact that these families all came working together. It doesn't mean that everybody was equally as vigorous in their singing praises to the Lord the whole time. We know that about Jer or the brother of Jared specifically and many others, uh, but the fact is they made it. Verse 12, they did land upon the shore of the Promised Land, and when they had set their feet upon the shores of the Promised Land, they bowed themselves down upon the face of the land and did humble themselves before the Lord and did shed tears of joy before the Lord because of the multitude of his tender mercies over them. There are a lot of people in this world who are walking around with issues, with struggles, with diseases, with, with difficulties that they face. In the quiet heart is hidden, 
sorrows that the eye can't see. And sometimes we judge ourselves and we judge others as if, as if everything is working perfectly, and that may be the case sometimes, but in many cases I believe that there are things going on that we don't have all the answers, and God isn't taking away those struggles, it's those very struggles that are pushing us more and more and more towards the Promised Land where it gives us opportunities to exercise true charity. I love something that C.S. Lewis said about the next life. He said, when we get there, when all of the soil and the stain, so to speak, of this life is washed off and people are made whole, I love his statement, he said, there will be surprises. That's what this chapter is for me, is this, this message, you keep going forward even if it's hard, even if there are bad things happening, trust in the Lord your God that he is going to make this right. Now, once they get here to the Promised Land, uh, they have some incredible experiences in the beginning of, of that experience with the brother of Jared and Jared himself and their posterity, but then shortly thereafter you get the next generation and then the next generation, and before long we end up in this pride cycle thing again where you get generation after generation just struggling and the prophets come among the people and they preach, but verse chapter 7, verse 24, the people did revile against the prophets and did mock them. And so you get this story in chapters 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11 of what happens when people think that they actually are smarter when it comes to eternal things than God's prophets, when they reject the prophets of God. What happens in those societies? You get secret combinations, strifes, contentions. In here, Moroni seeing our day, talking about the secret combinations introduced by Achish, he tells us in our day in chapter 8, oh, be so careful if a nation upholds, verse 22, whatsoever nation shall uphold such secret combinations to get power and gain, until they shall spread over the nation, behold, they shall be destroyed." And then he turns the page over, uh, verse 24, "'Wherefore the Lord commandeth you, when ye shall see these things come among you, that ye shall awake to a sense of your awful situation because of this secret combination which shall be among you.'" And he's pleading with us to not go that route because he saw it among his Nephite nation, now he's repeating the story with the, the Jaredite nation and he's looking down the corridor of time at our day saying, you have them among you as well, so recognize them and don't let them spread and take root. Then in chapter 9, it just continues, the kingdoms keep passing on and on and on and there are some, some very, very difficult stories taking place in here. Isn't that interesting? We're on land not just any land, we're on the Promised Land from the Book of Mormon perspective, and life should be easy. They're, they're getting riches, they've got gold and silver and precious gems and, and prosperity like crazy when it comes to the money, and yet the society is far less happy there than they were buried in the mountain waves with all of the, the 
potential uncertainty of where are we even going and how long is it going to take for us to get there. For me, the message is my happiness on the covenant path, my enduring joy on the covenant path has very little to do with how many tires I have on my trailer. My happiness has very little to do with anything external, and it has everything to do with my connection with the Lord, my God. In closing, I know God lives. I know that he's in his heavens. I know that you are not forsaken and that if multiple mountain waves have crashed upon you recently, hold on. Hold on to the faith, hold on to your trust in the Lord, and know that instead of shaking your fist at heaven and turning your back on heaven, recognizing, wait a minute, heaven is the, the Lord is the only one who truly knows what I'm going through right here and can help me. God, his Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost, they will not forsake me. They know what I'm going through, and they must have seen fit to have this be a part of my progression towards fulfilling my life's mission and getting where I need to go and becoming who I need to become in the process. It's not the power, it's not the glory, it's not who's the king that is going to bring me the greatest happiness and joy. It's recognizing the Lord Jesus Christ as my King, my Lord, and my God. And I leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey guys, we just wanted to say thank you for following us and watching our videos. We also wanted to let you know that next year we're going to be doing Come Follow Me videos for Doctrine and Covenants, so stay tuned.